Well, we are less than just three months away from LSU football. What exactly can we expect as LSU fans as the Tigers take on Florida State on September 4th in week one? Well, who better to ask than the host of Locked On Seminoles who join us on today's edition of Locked On LSU. You are Locked On LSU, your daily podcast on the LSU Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, we're only a couple months away from LSU Florida State on Labor Day weekend in the Dome. So who better to break down the X's and O's and the expectations of that game than Locked On Seminoles themselves. Max and Drake join the show now. Appreciate y'all coming on. But first and foremost, I got to ask you, positives, negatives, let's start with let's start with the positives. What is kind of empowering you or what's exciting about this Florida State team? Because as of late, it hasn't been very encouraging for, for Knowles fans over there in Tallahassee. So there's two ways to look at offseason, right? Like one, you can't win because you don't play games. But two is you can't lose because you don't play games. So uh, whichever of those you decide to embrace will will set your mood. And I think for us, it's, uh, it's a new year. Um, so we're excited just because we haven't been proven otherwise. But I think it's the continuity. I mean, you return a lot of starters. I think it's something like 75, 80% of our offensive snaps from last year, a higher number on defense from last year. Um, you have a, you know, what, a third-year quarterback coming back, and Drake will get to his opinions about Jordan Travis. But regardless, it's it's better than the churn that we saw the three years prior to that. And um, I, I think that that's what people are excited about. We finally also have an O-line that, like, Half the guys are of legal drinking age, which, you know, is important in college football and not them drinking, but them being older. And we haven't had that for like half a decade. So I think there's a lot of a lot of reasons for optimism with just the continuity and the age of the team. And Max forgets about the transfers. And that's kind of I think what we're most excited about, especially with uh, Jared Verse, who was, I think, number three or number four for two, four, seven is actually a transfer composite with the balls. And we've added him on a defensive line that, you know, we lost Jermaine Johnson and we lost Kier Thomas, too. But. He's hopefully someone that can pick up, you know, where he left off. And then also we had a Tatum Bethune, the uh, UCF linebacker transfer, who I think he had 100 and what, 10 tackles and I think 10 yeah. and a half tackles for loss overall UCF. So the, and then Dimitri Mayo for the O-line, because as Max said before, we never had offensive line depth. We've always had 18 or 19-year-olds, you know, playing offensive line. The problem is most of them still have high school bodies and they're playing against grown-ass men. And that's typically where you get bullied. And with the QB like Jordan Travis, you need a healthy offensive line. So the transfers coming in is, is probably, for me personally, probably the highest point of positivity for us. Yeah, just to underscore that, I mean, we, we're we going to start probably five transfers against LSU. So just to put in perspective of how impactful the transfer portal's been for us, Drake, that's a great call out. Yeah, I think that LSU and Florida State, and uh, those two programs aren't alone, but those two programs in particular have utilized the transfer portal so well. Ole Miss is another program that has – built a lot of their the, the core of their team through the transfer portal. So, I mean, I'm with you with the LSU. I mean, a, a large part of their team, maybe even possibly their quarterback, uh, would have gotten in through the transfer portal. So, I mean, that's the biggest kicker with LSU, and it kind of sounds like the same thing with Florida State, is it's so difficult to put your finger on what this team will look like just because there are so many transfers coming in from all over the place, a unit that hasn't kind of been together as one cohesive part before, before this offseason. 
So it's almost the opposite, right? Like I think for us, it's it's a we we expect a very high floor, low ceiling team. You know, again, you, you talk about the guys we have, and it's it's such a it's such a fun exercise to watch college football fans. I'm sure the Tigers fans here are no different. When a guy transfers, it's like good riddance. Glad he's gone. Cancer in the locker room. No one on the field. The way out all that and then when a guy transfers in, you're like, this is the best person ever. I can't believe we just got him. I don't know. At so, LSU, it kind of depends on the way they left. Like also okay. Eli Ricks, for example, is a corner um, from LSU, transferred to Alabama. It was, all right, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Later, good riddance. But I would say probably for the most part, it's, you know, it's, you know, good luck. Wish you the best. That's not 100 of the time. See, we do that. I don't know. You say that on the air, yeah, fans. of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm about to say. Um, like, you know, I think DJ ones was like, "Oh, we're all side of the team go," but then you see the majority of the fan base. I'm like, "Oh, damn, y'all really feel some type of way." You're like, "Later, yes. bye." Yeah, seriously. Um, but yeah, so so I think that you see like the ceiling might not be all that high. Otherwise, these guys would probably all be starting at the programs from which they came. But again, when you have older guys who have all, for the most part, played together, who know this playbook, who know this offense. You've got an offensive coordinator who was, we lost our offensive coordinator to Oregon and we promoted from within from our O-line coach, uh, probably the best recruiter on our staff. So again, you look at that and it's like, okay, we'll see what we can do. And you look at the, the, the converse of that is y'all tons of talent, no continuity, like could be a 12 win team, could just not put it together and win five. So I think it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how this game goes. Cause frankly, I want to hear y'all's opinions. I have like nine different scenarios in my head of how this thing could play out. I mean, I kind of feel the same way about that primarily because Brian Kelly, I mean, I said when you were on our show that he's a kind of a QB whisperer. Uh, yeah. Max can tell you how much I was saying, Jack Cohn's not a threat. Jack Cohn isn't good. And then Jack Cohn proceeded to have the best game of his entire career against us at Doak in an away game under, under the lights. And that was probably the last I've heard Doak probably since Oklahoma 2011. And we're seeing right now what the continuity was. Like, it's a good thing because Alex Atkins was also our run game coordinator. And one of the highlights of our team, as well as our running backs, whether it be Treshawn Ward or Trey Benson, the Oregon running back uh, transfer over. And then also C.J. Campbell and you know, Lawrence Tofield, two names that you probably won't haven't heard of, but probably will be hearing on that Labor Day night. And overall, this game to me is going to come down to probably just coaching decisions. I've already seen that Brian Kelly kind of knows how to carve up an Adam Fuller defense. But now we actually have seen an Adam Fuller and Ranchan coming in. And also, uh, Max was alluding to, this is his first time with all your talent. You can have all the tools and try to share that you want, but if you don't know how to use them properly, then that doesn't mean much to anybody. You mentioned the run game, and through all of my digging through the internet, all of my Florida State research, that's kind of the biggest thing that stood out to me, that a lot of the, the Florida State talking heads and the Florida State scribes were all talking about the run game, that that's going to be a really bright part of this team. But my question for y'all is, what exactly about the run game is so special? What exactly are you so excited about with the game on the ground? So, so this run game does one thing really well, and that's making – Good blockers look great and bad blockers look, you know, what's the word serviceable. Um, if you go watch any tape from our our games, you'll see that there is very rarely a time where all five offensive linemen are blocking head up against the guy in front of them. You won't see much, uh, you know, much gap zone blocking either. You're going to see weird, crazy pulls like his Alex Atkins loves to do things like pull the entire left side to the right side and bring a squat back over to create this wall of people gets them in trouble sometimes, but more often than not, it creates a lot of confusion, a lot of, uh, a lot of misdirection across the defensive line, which 
that's why when I hear about the defensive line y'all have, I'm less worried than I should be. It's not to say I'm not worried because they're very good. It's an elite defensive line. But Alex Atkins' system does not rely on having better players than the other team. So, like, you tell me we're going against a D-line that's physically better than our O-line? Like, that's every game for us, it feels like. But this running game is predicated on motion, misdirection, and, and really hiding the deficiencies of the O-line. And Mike Novell has cultivated like a, a resume builder where I think everywhere he's been, he's cultivated this probably this strong stable of backs, whether it be back at Memphis, he had Antonio Gibson, a Tony, uh, Tony Pollard. He also had Daryl Henderson. And Tony then Pollard is a dude. Tony Pollard is a sicko. And also in that defense, Mike Novell also is coaching in a conference at Memphis that plays absolutely zero defense. So Tony Pollard is going to be carving up defenses. I mean, he's doing it in the league now. So that's just goes to show that it's just pure talent. But I look at so much of what Mike Marville did at Memphis and I'm like, how much of that was you? How much of that was your players? And how much of that was the fact that there's just absolutely zero defense played? It is just offense and offense. I mean, the man beat Luke Fickle twice. Actually, in back-to-back, it's right before he got hired to Florida State. So kind of he beat someone who's a CFP participant. So as much as I like to, you know, you know, Max knows how I feel about Mike Norvell, but over he kind of earned his keep over Memphis for having a dynamic offense with playmakers besides being, you know, running backs, but also with a DeMonte Coxey over there, a Kevin Austin. So he's shown that when he has the tools at his disposal, he's actually able to execute. But now it's more that at FSU, has he been able to have those kind of tools around him? And I think for the first time since he's been here, he actually has those on, on offense. And coming up next, I want to get into that about Mike Norvell, his tenure so far at Florida State, and what you see him doing in the future. So we'll get into that coming up next. So I've told y'all time and time again that Built is always coming out with amazing new flavors, and they've done it again, and they've outdone themselves this time with the new mud pie flavor. And for the first time ever, Built is introducing the new mud pie flavor in both mud pie bar and mud pie puffs. If you prefer the marshmallowy kind of fluffy taste, that one is for you. And if you're not sure what exactly mud pie tastes like, if you're a chocolate fan like I am, then you're going to freak out over these. The new mud pie bar is rich with cream, chocolate mousse, smothered in 100% real chocolate, and topped with a cookies and cream crumble. It truly is a chocolate fan's dream. You've got to try them as soon as possible, and you need to hurry because they're flying off the shelves, at least the virtual shelves at Built.com. The Mud Pie Bar and the Mud Pie Puff are only available for a limited time, so visit Built.com to taste the deliciousness of the Mud Pie flavor for yourself. And if you're still not convinced, that's okay. We save the best for last. It's actually good for you. Like, it's good for you, and it tastes like chocolate. All Built products are low-calorie, high-protein, and low-sugar, so not just Mud Pie, but all of the great Built Bar flavors as well. In the Mud Pie Bar and Puff, it's packed with 16 grams of protein. It'll keep you full all day long with only 150 calories and 8 grams of sugar, so you can fit that in to whatever diet or macros you might be following, and it's just like your mom baked the most delicious, creamy, chocolatey Mud Pie and wrapped it up just for you, but you don't have to sacrifice your health to have it all as well. Mud Pie Bars and Puffs are available at Built.com right now, but they're going fast because they are so freaking delicious. And just like all Built Bars, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. So healthy, high in protein, and tasty too. What's great about Built is that all their bars are made with collagen protein. So I know in the past I've taken collagen supplements for my hair, my skin, and my nails. You can ditch those. No need to spend extra money at the pharmacy for those because you'll get that protein through Built Bars. It's good and it's good for you. 
You're going to love the new Mud Pie Built Bar and Built Puff because I love it. I think it's delicious. I'm a chocolate fan, and it's exactly what I need to curb my chocolate cravings. So whether you need a snack for your workout, if you need a late-night treat, or if you just need to grab a quick bite, Built is the perfect protein bar, and they taste better than a candy bar. Chocolate mousse, whipped cream cookies, and cream crumbles. Stop drooling and get to Built.com to get your order of Mud Pie Bars and Puffs now. You won't regret it. Go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, at 15% off at built.com. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. The Ultimate NBA Draft starts June 16th with over 50 insiders. Nothing equals the Ultimate NBA Mock Draft. The Locked On NBA Big Board Draft experts plus the Odyssey insiders and the first pick is June 16th. All you got to do is search Ultimate NBA Mock Draft and follow now so you don't miss a pick. Thank you for making Locked On LSU your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. And I want to get into the Mike Morvell tenure at Florida State because it hasn't been glowing so far. Mike Morvell came from Memphis where he found a ton of success. I'm a big Mike Morvell fan. I'm rooting for Mike Morvell. My question for y'all is why do you think he's had such a difficult time in his past two years at Florida State? We're we're talking other than coaching ability, or or is that on the table too? Everything's on the table. Okay, Max, you go first. (laughs) Um, You know it's tough because on one hand there are legitimate excuses: team he inherited, the culture, et cetera, et cetera. COVID happened. Um, Was it a bad culture? But there's, yeah, oh for sure, it was awful. Um, You look at the attrition we've had alone, and Drake, how many players have we had transfer out in the past year once they pulled off the APR requirement? Oh, we had around, I think, 33 plus have actually you know, departed the program. So you, I talk about continuity this year, but you look at last year's team and you look at there were regularly times where like 22 starters, maybe six of them had ever started a game at Florida State. And culturally, it was a mess. I mean, we were the pinnacle of talented team that gives up. I mean, it didn't matter. Like there was a point in 2020 where it was like, how big of a lead do we need going into halftime to feel like they're not going to come back? And it was Mean Girls, right? The limit didn't exist. We could be up by 50, and you just knew they were going to give up the minute the other team scored and showed some life. That being said, was Arkansas really any in a better position? Arkansas also dealt with COVID. Was Ole Miss just a great cultural bastion? No, that school's always sucked at football. They're not any good. They, they finally, for the first time, won 10 games in a regular season. We've LSU been doing are going to love that. They're going to love. Yeah, I'm just it. saying, like we, we, these two schools that are on this program, we've been winning ten games in the regular season since we, whenever they started playing ten games in the regular season, and yet look what Lane Kiffin did in, in the same time as Mike Norvell. So it's almost like it's hard to say because there are excuses, but I, you know, it may just be that I don't know. You know, it's Memphis uh, and Florida State are different programs. You know. Yeah, and I think the talent level, I think one of the things that you hear a lot about with Coach Norvell is that he's learning on the job. Uh, I think coaching and recruiting as a whole, and actually probably instilling the culture he wants at a Power 5 program is a lot more difficult when you actually go from the American, where 
as you said before, the defense is non-existent, and also your main rivals are UCF before they were good, Cincinnati, and then Tulane. So overall, like that to me is like one thing else. And as well, he came down to Florida, and this is something that we talk about recruiting-wise, where that he had no ties to the state whatsoever. And then he brings in a staff where basically David uh, David Johnson, Yak, uh, ties to Louisiana. Alex mm-hmm. Atkins, mainly the you know northern Florida, South Georgia. Woodson's a little bit in Florida, but everybody else is mainly Texas. It's Northeast. It's Arizona. So he he kind of came in with a sort of a a different mindset. And we also see it also in game where this is where I actually back up Max a lot when it comes to Jordan Travis. He has never given Jordan Travis the full faith and confidence that he should be QB one since day one, which is not fair because that kid puts his life on the line, his final line every single damn game. And that's something that, quite frankly, we're starting to see it now with the spring game overall. That I think he actually finally gave him his trust back. Well, I think also with Mike Norvell, is, is, a lot of it's been that he said he's, he has to learn on the job overall. So I feel like I kind of start. Go ahead if you have something to add to that. No, I was just, yeah, I was going to say, like, that's a very good point, Drake, about learning on the job. So just kind of inform your listeners. So what I do for a living when I'm not with you fine people is um, I do mergers and acquisitions. So I see a lot of companies try to become, you know, get acquired by bigger companies. And um, Mike Norvell to me is very much like a CEO of a moderate sized company that you know, is going into big corporate life for the first time. It's just, it's different at the power five level. And it's everything from the scale of money you're dealing with to um, the players themselves, right? I think culturally players on a good G5 team, and I'm generalizing here, but typically they know that even if they're the best player on their team, they still have to have a really good year to start getting hype in the draft and to be noticed on a national stage. Whereas like you can go to LSU, Florida state or Georgia, even some schools like Virginia Tech that have a really good name brand and you don't have to be maybe at your best to get yourself to the league and then you can turn it on when you get there. So I think that was that was something he didn't account for was like what you have to do to get buy-in from players at a brand name school at the Power 5 level is different than what you have to do to get buy-in from players at the G5 level. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean it's just a different you're recruiting from a different pool, you're recruiting with, with players that have different backgrounds. Um, I mean, for the most part, I mean, it's you may be working with a similar pool of players and recruits, but really, I mean, when you're talking group of five versus a, one of the most storied and historic programs in college football, both in LSU and Florida State, you're just it's a different feeling around it. But I feel like I kind of know both of your answers to this question, but just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on it. Is year three the year that Mike Marvell turns things around? And if not, how long is his leash short or long is his leash? Um, so for me, year three for Mike Norvell is going to be kind of the pivot point. I think it's a very popular word you're hearing actually all around FSU, Twitter, FSU, because media personalities too, mainly because he needs to win seven games. I think that missing the bowl eligibility mark last year kind of set the tone for basically how recruiting went, you know, early signing day and then also for the signing period in February. And then recruiting has been kind of at a standstill a little bit. So at this point now, he really needs to actually, okay, the culture is better. We're improving in all these areas for advanced metrics. But the wins aren't showing up. We need to be going to more bowl games. We need to be more exposed. We need to show the people actually we are finally back to where on the path that we want to be at because the two Tiger years, Max can tell you actually being at that game. Virginia Tech took a, the win out of our sales yeah. immensely at that day. And since then, it's probably that we've that been hard. Spiral. Oh, yeah. He, can, been so <laughs> quiet in my life he, he was so – like he texted me. He's like, I don't even know where I'm going right now. But overall, like, it just needs to be, I think, year three, he needs to win the seven. I think that's going to be the magic number right there. And honestly, you look at the schedule overall, it's attainable. And if he wins eight, that's great. Steal one. But if you get six, that's when our, I think you're going to be asking yourself, does he understand where the position that he's in? 
or do you think he's, he he thinks he's a little bit too comfortable with uh, the position to with new AD? Yeah, and to Max's point, like what yeah. Lane Kiven's been able to do at Ole Miss in a short period of time, like three Dave years as long. Oh, Dave Aranda turning around, winning the Big 12 Mel Tucker. too. Mel Tucker. I mean, like coaches can turn things around now. It might take time, but year three is really put up or shut up time. Uh, but also I wanted to kind of transition to to discuss Jordan Travis because I feel like that's a name that's kind of divisive amongst Florida State fans. And Drake, you mentioned like with a quarterback like Jordan Travis, the offensive line has to be X, Y, Z. Exactly what kind of quarterback is Jordan Travis? Mm, the what con- do you mean, you people? <laughs> Florida con- State fans? I'm just going to cut that. No, I was talking to him. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, I'll leave that in, but just wanted to. The kind of quarterback Jordan Travis is, and something that we said, I think, on one of our first few shows when he you know, came in for James Blackman, is he he's a gamer. He's someone that extends the play. He's mobile in the pocket. He he rolls out. Sometimes the little rolls out a little more than he should. And he's someone that, if you look at our games with, with our big wins, whether it be a UNC, whether it be Miami, whether it be uh, the Syracuse game, he didn't have the gaudiest of passing stats. I think he had about 184, 134 against UNC. I think Miami might have been the first game he threw over 200 yards. And then Syracuse, I think he had like around 100 yards passing, but he had 140 yards rushing, something like some insane number like that. So he's someone that is dynamic with the ball in his hands. He makes your offensive line look better. And then the running backs we talked about earlier, he's one that they have to account extra for. Say, okay, is, is Dorn going to keep this? Is he going to go right? Is he going to go left? Is he going to go up the middle? So he's just a gamer. And like basically one of the things that we've been talking about is that you kind of need to tell your offense a little bit more to his skill set because he can throw a pretty deep ball. Just if you ask him for throw something over the middle, a little bit short on the outside, he's not the most accurate with that. So it's something that you need to tell your offense more to him. Yeah, and, and look, he, he's the only player in the country that can run play action with himself. So there's quarterbacks that can run. There's running quarterbacks. And, and then there's Jordan Travis. He is uh, he's a Lamar Jackson-level runner. I mean, he is freakish with what he can do with his legs. He's mm-hmm. fast. He's fast in the open field and when he's accelerating. He also has this weird ability – to just find seams. I don't, it, he's slippery. He's I, I, won't, I won't compare it to Lamar. He reminds me a lot of Le'Veon Bell in that way of like, he'll kind of, he's very patient and it looks like it's about to close in. And then somehow he just slips through and you're like, where did that come from? So he's a guy that you, you really, you can't afford to not respect the run. And, and I don't mean a half step, you know, before you drop into coverage, just in case, like if he pump fakes forward with a foot, linebackers have to move forward or they're not going to get to him if it's a run. So, This year is going to be about can Jordan Travis, because we saw it last year, right? From 2020 to last year, he went from 55% to 63% completions. 2019 or 2020, six TDs, six picks. Last year, 15 TDs, six picks. So he improved quite a bit. Now it's can he get out of his own way and figure out how to use his legs to open up the passing? Because I think what Drake was getting to with the O-line you can only take so many hits. And we saw last year, he he only threw 58% of the team's passes. Some of that was poor coaching decisions. Some of that was because he was getting his ass kicked every game because he's he's only 195 pounds. So um, I, I think the, if he takes the next step, he could be very good. And uh, But a quarterback like Jordan Travis is, is one that can run in ways that will make you go, what the hell did I just watch? Um, and then also try to run over a linebacker and make you go, what the hell did I just watch? Just slide, kid. Just please, for the little yeah. slide. Jeez. But I, I would encourage you all to go watch his run against Syracuse because from last year. That'll give you an idea of what I'm talking about, like a 70-yard run to set up the game winner um, where somehow he didn't step out of bounds. 
And and that is the essence of Jordan Travis. His body control, I think, is probably what yeah. Max is. It's just it's just amazing and beautiful to watch. It's, it's gymnast poetic. Level. It's poetic. Yeah. But it's poetic. That's a, that's lovely. Well, I'm picturing like a figure skater. A bit, yeah. yeah that's that's kind of, if, if we're being, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he reminds you a lot of him probably the gymnastics. Like he kind of has that weird, just like I don't interesting. know. It's interesting. Just a lot of body control. Yeah, just yeah. doing this. Um, so I think a lot of LSU fans, I mean, we play Alabama every year. We play Ole Miss every year. We play Mississippi State every year. For the most part, even with a lot of turnover, LSU fans know what to expect. But I think there are very few LSU fans out there that know what to expect from Florida State. So for all the LSU fans listening, like, in your opinion, what does Florida State have to do to lose this game? Like, how, like, what does, go down the field, they make mistakes. What are those mistakes making that cost them the game? Your defensive line doesn't show up. Yeah, that's that's how LSU could probably lose a lot of games is if the defensive line doesn't show up. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I mean, I I think it's if they if they try to get into, um, you know, just a just a toe to toe boxing match with LSU. I think the recipe for winning this game is going to be play mistake free football as much as you can and rely on big shots to put you in scoring position and to score your points. You're not going to see – I doubt you will see with this team against LSU's defense very many methodical drives. I just don't think that is going to be possible. Your D-line's too good. Your front seven's too good for, you know, to just try to play three yards in a cloud of dust. You're going to have to accept that – and it's patience, right? It's accepting that, hey, you're probably going to not have positive yards for maybe five, six plays in a row across two series – but once they give you something, you've got to capitalize on those explosive plays. You can't miss the deep balls. Uh, you can't miss, you know, you can't whiff on blocks when you have a good setup. And if we can do that, I, I think that gives us a good chance. But, um, you know, it's 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 going to be an uphill battle. I think the one thing, uh, Max, I think you have a stat I think on, on you right now. I think FSU last year was one of the worst teams with uh, third and long distances. Every single time would be, you know, third and eight, second and nine. Yeah. We'd be in these long, long distances. And that was kind of the Achilles heel for this team for a lot of games. So if FSU is able to translate that to more, let's do third and fours. Let's mm-hmm. do two and eights. I mean, sorry, two and sixes. Let's do a little closer to the line of scrimmage. That can probably set your run us, game up. Set the run exactly. Set the run run game up because it's, it's the strongest part of our entire team. And that kind of leads me to another point where our wide receivers actually need to play. Uh, our wide receivers last year were quite honestly extremely poor. I think out of the four, I guess top wide receivers that we have, I think for man to man to man coverage success rate, they had like a twenty three percent. 25%, 29%, and 33%. So overall, it was just abysmal over the board. And that's just asking Jordan Travis to do way too much. So if our, if our receivers are able to sort of, you know, beat man coverage, get open, use the motion. That's why we brought in four transfers, you know, with Micah Pittman, Johnny Wilson, Deuce Span, and who's the last kid, Max? I'm forgetting. Winston Wright Jr., if he's able to play yep. the game. So to me, like, if they're able to, you know, win their matchups, that's something that can probably open up something new for Jordan Travis that we actually haven't been able to see because he hasn't had the talent around him. So... And that's what makes this LSU defense, and we talk about the front four a lot, but that's what makes this this LSU like defensive backfield such a force is because they play just relentless man. And yeah. that's tough on opposing wide receivers. From your perspective, what is the feeling for Florida State fans toward this game, toward LSU? I think it, it's interesting. I, I think – for the first time in my life, I understand what it's like to be an opposing fan playing Florida State. And, and what I mean by that is, 
look, we were in the ACC, so not a lot of teams winning championships. Um, had some, but not a ton. So when we go play these teams, it was always their Super Bowl. And I never really got it, especially as we got worse. It was like, all right, we get it. Like, you guys are probably going to beat us. You're better than us now. Um, but I think that we're viewing this game as a chance to get a W next to the letters LSU against a team that's not who LSU typically is. Because we're not going to beat the 2019 LSU. But if we do win, people recognize that at a national level, that – won't really matter. It'll still be like, hey, they've got to win against LSU on their schedule. Even if y'all win three games, it will still look better than if we beat three-win Kentucky or three-win, you know, Western Illinois State. So I think that that's okay, probably how people are viewing it. Right. It's always going to be LSU on the jerseys. So like, regardless of how the rest of the season plays out, a win is going to be a massive infusion of excitement for the program. I think this is probably the biggest point of schedule that the team can steal a W. I think, like, basically for all the points that Max said, and this game is extremely important primarily. I looked at this game a lot similarly to the Boise State game from a few years ago with Willie Taggart last year. And that was a game that, if we won that game, quite honestly, the hype, the momentum moving forward from that honestly could have propelled the team to, you know, more to more victories than we probably, you know, wouldn't have won. Like, me, Max, and I were at the UVA game. And that game, if we had beaten Boise State, that probably could have played a lot differently depending on how the team feels. So with the LSU game, we have to play afterwards. We play Boston College, Wake Forest, um, Louisville, and then Ooh. we also go into NC State, Clemson. And like that's a tough schedule. And if, but if you're able to steal one from the LSU, you feel a lot more comfortable being 2-0 after you beat Duquesne real quick. And then you basically are on an easier path to bowl eligibility. So like this is a, probably an important game, but also something that we feel – I feel strangely optimistic for this game, honestly. I don't like to hear that. Well, it's, it's our bet. Like, I, yeah, I'll say this. Like, if, yeah, if we had to play LSU, like, you know, at the risk of incensing your listeners, if we had to play LSU, this is the best possible confluence of circumstances. Not coming off a great year. Lost a lot to the draft. I know you're reloading, but still, again, we're talking about circumstances in which you have to play LSU. Like, the, the other option is, like, first game or, like, fifth game 2019. So, I'm comparing it to that. It'd be tough. New coach. You're at home basically, but not quite, right? Neutral site, first week of the season, and we also get the huge advantage of getting a week zero cupcake game to warm up. So it's like, I don't know if our team is good enough to win this game. I, I'm not going to bet on the game. I don't feel that confident in it from just a pure team against team perspective. But if we were going to play LSU, this is the absolute best set of circumstances that any movie writer could have written up for us. So like, in that sense... You have to feel pretty good about it. You want them from the jump. And people forget that Brian Kelly faced FSU in week one with the team he had coached for, I don't know, 10 years, and he needed OT to beat us. And that was with a better team, too. And I think there's so much to say about, I mean, I know this is not your first game of the year, but this is really, this is the first marquee matchup. This is going to be one that Florida State fans are circling on their calendars. Same thing with LSU fans alike. And there's so much to say about the importance of getting that first game. Like I remember in 2019, or 2018, excuse me, LSU beat Miami in a neutral site game in Dallas. And that just got the momentum going for the season. That it was like, okay, yeah, like we were actually good. Like we had no idea who this Joe Burrow guy was and how good he could be. Yep. And beating Miami was just like, okay, we are good enough. We can beat these teams here. I think that's how I'm approaching this game is, okay, beating Florida State, that's the first way that we can get started in a new season, in a new coaching era. So your perception of it being kind of the first week of the year. And also, you mentioned it being a neutral site game, but also not really. How much of your mind has changed with it 
being in playing LSU in New Orleans. So here's the thing. This is going to get me roasted by LSU fans, maybe Florida State fans, but like I've got enough friends now that you know played high level college football that I talked to, and it matters. But I will say, offenses are pretty good at getting around crowd noise now. I mean, they've gotten really, really good at it. Now, first week, will you see some false starts? Yeah, maybe. Probably. But, like, it's it's not – as much as we love to be like, we call it – now, sometimes you cause a crucial jump at the right time. I'm not saying – look, I'm at every game screaming my head off too, but I think it's more of a talking point than, like, a, do I think the outcome of the game will be materially different because of where it's played? Not really. I think it's still all the circumstances we talked about with, again – little you know the crowd noise will matter but eh, i don't know i mean pre-snap penalties i mean like max i kind of agree with max in a way that these are not professional athletes but they basically haven't played this game their their entire lives they're not going to have a bunch of drunk 20 to 28 year olds like actually mattering when it comes to the game and yelling and screaming their faces off we like to say that for the first game because like you know like you know that was me that was me right there being like at the dope at uh, dope with against Notre Dame. but overall like i think it matters more to maybe whoever has the ball last i mean that also depends on the kind of player you are like i think LSU fans, like LSU players, are like, okay, this is gonna be, be the moment where we're able to capitalize on all the all the ruckus, all the noise, and like, like leave the fans home happy. Or on the opposite side, nothing feels better than shutting up an entire loud stadium than if you're the potent team. I mean, and we've seen that time and time again. You know, whether we're away or whether we're at home, like that to me, it could. I mean, you saw it with the NBA Finals too, as well. Like over in, in Boston just now, like nothing feels better than taste of silence. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I do I, think, yeah go ahead. No, yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, now they, you know, they do things with silent counts and stuff too. I, I have heard though that, uh, you know, from one of my buddies that played fullback at Miami, he, he actually had a weird take. He's like, sometimes when it's super loud, it actually knocks out the nerves a little better. You know, when you're like, you walk oh, in, because he actually, he actually vision. played for the team in that game in Dallas. Um, I didn't talk to him about that oh, one nice. specifically, but uh, that was smart. yeah, I, I'll actually ask him about how it felt. Probably didn't like it, um, but yeah, it's, it's just it's some of it. Yeah, it's like okay, the crowd's going. You know, it's like. You're less of those butterflies, but there'll be there'll be early season mistakes. Both teams are going to screw up, and um, I don't know. And okay, last one for y'all. You mentioned the Notre Dame game last year. This is the second year in a row that you're not opening your season, but starting the season against a Brian Kelly coach team. What's the perception of Brian Kelly in the Florida State circles? Very, very, very damn good head coach. And I think other than that. He's a weirdo when it comes to um, – I'm joking, I'm joking, he's not a weirdo. Just, I think it's really funny how he – He wouldn't be the him. first weirdo that we had coaching the, the LSU football team, I'll tell you that. I could feel that, but no, I think it's really – I think it's more that we, we respect him as a very good head coach. He's a damn good recruiter. And, I mean, you're seeing it right now when he's coming from – he's somehow been able to, I guess, change the Massachusetts in him or maybe be a little more to the evolution of Bayou Brian or whatever you want to call him now over there. Well, so he spent overall, a solid week in Louisiana before he said that. So, I mean, it's Oh, yeah, he really, didn't got the accent. Yeah, yeah, it's a really um, infectious accent, isn't it? What's the, what's the stuff? What's the stuff called? Tony Chacheres? Did he? Tony Chacheres. Yeah, yeah. He, he bought he bought a can of that on his on his way driving down from South Bend. Put it on As everything. He should. I mean, this is probably yeah. the first time he's put spice in his life. So I do make. I will say I do make a, a mean jambalaya with with Tony C. So if anyone's Tony interested, C. Um, Tony C's. I I will. I you know honestly to answer the. Uh, I don't know if the average Florida State fan would know who Brian Kelly is. And I don't say that to like disrespect him, but I kind of still to this day feel like he was like the most under the radar coached for, you know, what, three potential national championship appearances in the 2010s. Like, I feel like he was just always kind of 
he was he was never synonymous with Notre Dame, and I think some of that was a product of just Notre Dame has always been amazing. Like you can't really, I mean, New Rockney, I guess, but like it's hard to think back of like who made Notre Dame great. They've kind of just been that way since the 19, early 1900s. So I think his brand always outshined his name as a coach to no fault of his own. So I, I don't know if there really is like a strong perception of who Brian Kelly is. I, I think it's think more that people have followed him for coaching searches. That could be why. <laughs> Probably yeah. so. And I think there's a good part of that too that's associated with when you don't win championships, your name just isn't as much of a marquee. Yeah. Like everybody knows Nick Saban. Everybody knows Davo Sweeney. But does the average college football fan, could they pick out Ryan Day out of a lineup? Like maybe, but maybe not. That's even more, that's even more obscure. Like, yeah, yeah, right. Like if slash when he does win a championship, then yeah, people will know who he is. But I think with Brian Kelly, like your point, he's been to the big dance several times, yep. but he's never won it. So when you don't win it, you're not, you're, your face isn't on TVs, your face isn't on ESPN, your name isn't written in articles and on sports centers. I think that's another part of it too, is he just had, he's been in the game for so long and hasn't won at all. That's a good point. And I think some of that's like also the expectation for Notre Dame is what it is. So, I mean, he, he wasn't by any means going to get fired or I don't mean it like that, but he was kind of just hitting Notre Dame expectations. When you talk to that fan base, like talk to any of them and they will tell you, yeah, two playoff appearances in 10 years, we should be doing that. So there was never like this. There was never a, uh, what's the word? Like a lot of smoke around him. Like, uh, uh, what's the guy's name? I'm blanking now at Cincinnati where it's like, Oh, he took that team and made it great. It was like, yeah, it's like, what did Brian Kelly really do that other coaches haven't done at Notre Dame? So there's that element of it too. But then when you're like us three who follow college football, you know, very religiously, like you understand how Notre Dame has high academic standards, both, you know, going into the school, and actually staying at the school. You also know that it's a lot more difficult to recruit to, uh, to that area because who, what kid in the right mind wants to go stop in Indiana? It's cold oh, the time of the year. It's rainy all the damn time. I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, poo-poo on their life over there, but it's not the, I will. It's, where you want, it's not a sexy place to go to school. No, no man. It's just gray all the time. Like it's just yeah. depressing. You're watching the movie so Rudy. The only thing more depressing than him is the the shots of the outside. You're like, what is? It's just gray. It's Shout always gray. Always gray. Oh, man, I feel bad. I mean, no disrespect, I guess, to South. But I mean, kind of. I guess I can't really say that after that tirade. But still, it's just I wouldn't want to live there. So it's yeah, great South Bend point. sucks. But no disrespect to South Bend. Like the people there, I'm sure are great people. Sure, they're wonderful. I don't know why you would. Decide I think I think recruits have heard worse things out of other coaches' mouth. Like, Do you want to really live in South Bend? Are you sure? Okay, are you sure? Are you positive? You're really sure you want to live in South Bend over you know where it's warm, 365 days of the year. Um, but before I let you guys go, is there anything that you got to let the the LSU fans out there know? Y'all are great. I don't know if I want them having my social media stuff. I feel like that's, this is the one fan base. My, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, y'all I can follow us. the same thing about Florida State fans. Yeah, though. well, that's true. Their uh, comment I, section was a freaking war zone. Oh, yeah. kind yeah, of. Some of those people were ridiculous. Uh, no, I just want to, you know, follow us on. We're on Twitter at Knowles Anonymous is one of ours. Um, you can also find me at MaxMoody17. Uh, and, you know, I want to give a shout out if you're listening to the whole thing to Fred Petrie. He's our resident LSU fan who found us because of this topic and is stuck on board. He's always very gentlemanly in the comments. It's, it's been Heck fun yeah, to have Fred. him around. So hopefully a lot more Fred's when we're down New Thank Orleans you and you know, yeah. So. Yeah. And you can follow me at tally underscore underscore. Rick, you also can follow, you know, Max is saying we have L O underscore Seminoles. That is our locked on Seminoles Twitter account. And I, I actually will also be at LSU for the game. So hit me up. If you want to tell you for a little bit. And uh, Lotto is another commenter who actually is a big LSU fan. So Hey, we might as well pivot to a LSU, you know, a podcast, I guess, now at this point. Might as well just collab daily at this point. 
All right, but I appreciate y'all. Again, that is Max and Drake from Locked On Seminoles. Appreciate them coming by, giving us a breakdown of September 4th, only a couple months away. 73 days. But who's counting? Thank you for making Locked On LSU your first listen every day. Now make your second listen to Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. Raphael Barlow, Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Lee Thulin give fans an in-depth look into the biggest prospects, the latest player rankings, and of course, the NBA Big Boards. So follow Locked On NBA Big Board every day on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts.